You look now at the health crisis that we're experiencing, both as a nation and also as a, as a larger society, and it's really hard for a lot of people. They, they feel lost. They feel out of touch in many ways, both with the people that are around them and the world that's around them. And by getting outdoors for 15 minutes in a day can have real mental, emotional benefits. And so we want people to be able to do that and to do that with a friend and do so in a joyful way that doesn't feel like they're not good enough or they don't have the right gear or, you know, what have you. It's really about encouraging the backyard barbecues and the day hikes and the park picnics. But I want people to feel free to get outdoors in whatever way that moves them and be able to activate that benefit that and, get, and sort of recognize the joy that comes from being out there. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Nicole Powell. Nicole is the founder and CEO of Kinfield, a personal care brand rooted in the joy of being outdoors that's pioneering non-toxic solutions for recreation, nature, and everyday use. Kinfield recently launched with a trio of products, Golden Hour, a deep-free mosquito repellent, Sunday spray, a cooling after sun aloe mist, and the water bomb, moisturizing balm for the face and body. Inspiration for Kinfield struck in the summer of 2017 when Nicole was packing for a camping trip to Yosemite and saw a need for clean, effective, and modern products for use in the outdoors, which led her to leave her role as head of business development at Modern Citizen early 2018 to build Kinfield full-time, and she launched the brand in June 2019. On today's episode, we talk about her deep love of traveling and of the outdoors, the power of community, why she chose to file her company as a B Corp and what that process was like, the importance of always remembering what you're solving for, and her mission to encourage people to connect with each other as often as possible in the outdoors. So with that, let's get into today's episode with Nicole Powell. So I am here with Nicole Powell, the founder of Kinfields. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So you're from Minnesota. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Why did you move to New York? Uh, You know, I've gotten that question a lot, especially Mm -hmm. because I went from Minnesota out to California and I was out there for almost eight years and absolutely loved it. I was living in San Francisco, had started my career in tech and But when I started Kinfield and I realized that we had an opportunity to sort of choose where we wanted to launch the brand, I started looking around and was spending a lot of time in New York because our the the amazing agency that built our website was based out here. And so I was Mm -hmm. coming back and forth quite a bit and had thought that I would go to L.A., but I, more that I came to New York, and it was actually this like very cold, snowy Saturday in February when I was like, I think February. I need, I know, of all <laughs> oh times, God. right? Like, I think if you decide to move to New York in that winter, is the absolute you must be really committed to it. <laughs> but I just found that I, I loved the energy here, and it felt like the place that I wanted to be to build the brand and to really start 
the company in a way that would put us into a place of having people who are really, you know, passionate about the activities that they do, the products that they use, um, and then, of course, really understand the power and beauty of getting out of the city on the weekend and, and really being able to go out and embrace nature. And New York felt like the, the right place for that. So interesting. I, I'm curious to know how you got from, like, I always like to ask people how they left home mm-hmm. to their first place. So I guess California was that for you. What it drew was, you to, cal- yeah. to California? Uh, you know, so I was, I was 13 years old mm-hmm. when I decided I was going to go to New York or California. I remember telling my mom that and being like, I am getting out. I'm going to go to all of these. And my mom was like, great. You can go wherever you want to for school. You just have to get good grades and then you can go. And I was like power to her for thinking, thinking that through. But I had wanted to go out to California graduating from school, I had known that I would want to go to a city and I wanted to work on something that I felt like I could learn a lot and yeah. was interviewing both in New York and in California, and got this amazing opportunity to go and do marketing at a large tech company and just thought that that was a really interesting place to start my career. And I was curious about San Francisco. I loved how outdoorsy of a city it was, um, had never lived in California. And so it really just felt like a great place to start. Um, And sort of, I think, power of being 22, I was like, let's go. Like, I can go anywhere. Why not go there? And I I got there and and really really loved it and just found that, um, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about cities is oftentimes it draws, like, really passionate people who are really curious about the world and, you know, want to sort of commit wholeheartedly to whatever it is that their dream or their vision is, because otherwise, why would you be there? 100%. Um, And I definitely found that in San Francisco and in New York. Yeah, I I feel like you you kind of find your tribe anytime you go to a place. Yeah, totally. So marketing, what was it about it that got you into it? And I feel like you're definitely clearly, I'm wearing her merch right now, like she (laughs) knows what's up, but what was it about it that originally kind of got you in? Mm. I think it's the storytelling of it, honestly. I had actually studied political science in undergrad and not because I wanted to be in politics or because I wanted to be a lawyer, um, which I think are the two paths that everyone assumes, Mm -hmm. but really because I was so curious about the way that politicians speak to communities, right? Because politics really oftentimes is about like rallying communities together or speaking to people. You're really finding that pain point. Um, And I found that being then in marketing at a tech company and then, you know, I went from there to then work at a fashion company and or a retailer and then, you know, now with Kinfield, it really is, it's the same, even though it's a different category in each way, it's the same thread of like, you're finding a community. And I really think that it comes back to people and what people want and what they need in this world. And marketing really is about kind of sussing that out yeah. um, and being able to tell that story in an engaging way and in a way that I think um, I like to think of it as making people happy. Although, of course, like, you know, we're just coming off of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and I think that there's like a whole other thing to be said about totally. um, that kind of consumerism. But I really do think that marketing, I just love the creative aspect of it, along with this element of like, how can you build and engage a community around a common thread of a brand or a person or a problem? Yeah. How did you feel that into it? Like, how did you get your first like step into that? in a company like Intuit TurboTax. Like, Mm. I feel like you, I mean, you then from Intuit went to, um, what was it? Uh, Modern Modern Citizen. Citizen. And short sabbatical. Completely (laughs) built Modern Citizen. So like you Mm. had to have had some sort of learning from Intuit. I'm just so curious to know like what a company like that is offering in terms of community. Oh my gosh, it was so interesting. Um, You know, Intuit had an amazing uh, internal, like, culture around Mm -hmm. supporting the people that were there. And so why I ultimately left because I wanted to be more of an operator role and being young and and feeling like I was 
um, wanting to be more hands-on and being able to kind of see many different areas of the business. I was actually in a rotational program while I was there, which oh, was a really those nice Those are so way. amazing. Like, They're, if I can tell everyone to do a rotational program with any company, I feel like that is the move. Because you just don't know what you're doing when you're 20. Like, you right. just don't know. Oh, my gosh. I still feel like sometimes I, I wake up. I'm like, I'm like, which, you know, 10 years from now? Like, yeah, who totally. Knows? Like, doctors get to do that. And I'm like, okay, that's so cool. Like, you, <laughs> you understand that you, like, want to be in, like, a general place. But, like, mm-hmm. if you don't know how to specialize, like, it's, like, so loaded to be 20 and then have to right. Figure it out, like it's so much. Right. You know, it's so sorry. Funny. Just it, like I think it, that rotational <laughs> programs are freaking the best thing ever. I'm such a I, nerd. I totally agree. No, and I think I think we put a lot of pressure on young people to mm-hmm. decide what it is that they want to do, right? Especially when you see now my younger sister, um, who's now a junior, but I remember a few years back and she was applying to schools, and some of these schools are asking you to apply to the program when you apply, which means you're putting pressure on 17 year olds to ask them what they want to do as a career. And I just feel like that is, it's so much pressure. Um, it's too but much pressure. Fortunately, my my mother actually went back to medical school to become a doctor later in life. And so she actually has sort of always proven that, that path to me, that you can decide what you want to do really at any time. That's so incredible and, to have and, someone so close to you to oh see a gosh, pivot like she's that. So, she's yeah. so amazing. Um, and really, yeah, you know, at that point, she was, she was actually pregnant with my younger sister, her third child, and decided to go to medical school. Just was like, this is something, this is a dream that's not going to die. I'm going to make this happen. I mean, that woman is like the I need to have her truly, on the podcast. She's truly the epitome of grit. Um, yeah, she, and she would love that. But uh, so I think I, what I what I found with that was, okay, I know that I know that I want to solve for something that's going to allow me to connect with people. I knew that I wanted to be in an operator role. And so when I was at Intuit, I really found that I loved being able to go and try all of these different things, but that I was missing that creative element. And so I had actually started a consultancy on the side just as a creative outlet while I was at Intuit. So what were your services? Um, I was I was doing writing and photography and I was Googling like how do you make a logo and what is a website? Like I was it was really just this this like fun creative outlet. I had always done a lot of writing. And was like, okay, I'm going to go try try this on the side. Do I'm going to learn photography. I'm going to hone in my writing skills. How did you, on the side, like know how to monetize that? Oh, I had no idea what I was doing. Did you have anyone <laughs> that was like kind of helping you? I feel like that's very cool. No, thank you. Um, no, I didn't. And I, I think what the beauty of it was that I wasn't trying to monetize it. It really did start as just this creative exercise that was something fun for me. Mm-hmm. And then as I finished the program with Intuit and was thinking about my next move, I saw that there was an opportunity at that point to realize another one of my dreams, which was to to travel solo around the world. And I just had this thing of like, okay, well, I've been I've been building this. I have brands now that are interested in having me write for them. Or, you know, I, I was doing like I was doing copywriting projects. And it's like, I could do that and travel and maybe take some time to figure out what it is that I want to do next. And so- Because while you were into it, you didn't feel connected or- Were you like itching to just like, have you always had an entrepreneurial itch? It seems like you're very like a go-getter type person. I think I'm very curious. And oftentimes those two things go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I found with Intuit was that, and it's, it's ironic, of course, now because now we use many of their products. But at the moment, I was like small business financial software while incredible just wasn't where my heart totally. lay. And so, and, but the thing is, is there are people, yeah, you know, exactly. No, it's so crazy. About it. Like my boyfriend is the complete opposite of me. And I'm like, really? I know for a fact in life that I have zero interest in doing what you love, but he's like, <laughs> I have all the interest in the world to do everything, but what you do. Exactly. So it's like, we're just like complete opposites. And it's so funny that there's, this, I mean, everyone is here for a purpose, an right. active ingredient. And exactly. And it's, it's very cool. So software was not this, 
was, was not, not was you. not my active <laughs> ingredient, as it were. Exactly. And so, and so I was I said, you know, OK. And again, you know, at this point, we're two years in now into into the career. So I have some idea of, of what I want to do. I knew that I liked marketing. I knew at that point that I really loved being in that operator space. What that kind of early days of that mm-hmm. consulting thing taught me was that I really loved being in a place where I was trying to build something that didn't exist before. Um, I love being in a space where you have a problem and no idea, no roadmap of how to solve it and just having to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Um, I just find that that's when I feel like I'm the most engaged, like all synapses are firing, like all good things. And so I I left and I I took the six months out. I told my family it was going to be two months. And then, you know, two months later, I was like, I think I'm going to go do, I have a three month visa in Vietnam. So I think I'm going to go do that. And just like kept going. Did you have savings? Like how did that work? I did. Yeah. So, I mean, the the perk of being in tech and also being young was that I didn't really have much experience. (laughs) Exactly. I don't have any expenses um, unless you count brunch, which, you know, at the time I thought was a very, you know, a big thing. Um, And, and yeah, so I, I was fortunate to be able to have the savings that I had saved up during my time at Intuit. And um, the other thing too, was, which is wild, is that I actually spent less during that six months traveling than I would have in maybe like one to two months in San Francisco. It's so wild. It's I feel like wild. the most expensive thing is the ticket. And then yes. there, everything oh, yeah. is just like ridiculously less it's, expensive. It's just the moving around the world. And yeah. I was in a place too where I was like, well, I can, you know, I want to jump from this place to that place sometime in the next two weeks. So I would just be able to go on and look and you can find, you know, the the $100 ticket between countries that's flying at right. four o'clock in the morning, three Thursdays from now. And you're, and you know, I was like, sure, that's that sounds so great. I'll plan on that. Cool. Oh, this um, is making me want to do that. It, it was amazing. It really was. It so was you incredible. did Vietnam. Where else? I, so I bounced around quite a bit. I started in Iceland. I have friends and family. Um, I previously studied in London. So I had, had friends and family in London and in Paris. And then Went down, spent a couple of weeks in Morocco, which was incredible, and then jumped all the way over from there to Thailand, and um, which really, you know, for me, it was very surreal. Like, I actually didn't travel a lot as a child. Um, we, we traveled a lot around the Midwest, but mm. big international trips were not not in our, in our capacity as a family, and so to be able to then have this opportunity and like booking, like I booked a one-way flight from Casablanca to, to Bangkok by way of Cairo, and it was such a surreal experience to be able to have that opportunity. And so I was, I was very, very aware of how fortunate I was to be able to do that um, and really wanted to be in a space where I just was eyes wide open and learning as much as I could. Do you think so that's then, innate? Like, do you think, I feel like if you didn't grow up traveling like that, I'm just mm-hmm. like so curious to know where that comes from, from you to like be confident enough to not only travel to your first destination alone, but then to travel so much for six months by yourself. Like, mm-hmm. did anyone else in your family do that? Like, Like, I'm just like so curious, like, is that just like who you are? And you were like, whatever, I've never seen this before, but I'm just going to try something new. Figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, actually, because my my parents are both really strong thinkers and they they divorced when I was very young. Mm -hmm. And so I had the opportunity to kind of see how both both of them engaged with that independence on their own. And my dad was always, always taking us outside. So in Minnesota, I mean, weekends would be these, you know, backpacking trips, or we would be going um, rock climbing or kayaking or what have you. And there's a level of just having to figure it out when you're out there. And I I very much cite a lot of that time outdoors as kind of what honed that 
comfort with discomfort for yeah. me. Um, it's part of the reason why actually um, from my time in San Francisco, I'm deeply involved in an organization called Girl Ventures, which is this incredible organization that teaches young women leadership skills, life skills, um, and community through outdoor experiences. So rock climbing I and backpacking. And, and it's, it's an incredible organization. And part of the reason why I wanted to be involved with that was I was like, this is where my education in this sort of independent way came about. Um, because there's just times when all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're kayaking and you're in the middle of a lake and you realize that you're separated from your family and you're against a current and no one's going to step in at that moment and say, okay, I've got you. Like, you've got to just figure it out. And so powerful. Yeah. And so I, I kind of felt I feel like, like it's like also in your day to day now in like so many different levels, like obviously in the <laughs> obvious, like outdoorsy type way, but also in your day to day building this business, mm-hmm. like you must be uncomfortable every single day. Yes. <laughs> All right. So you're traveling. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're traveling. You are. Mm-hmm. We're, we're in Bangkok now. Yeah. So I went to I was in Bangkok, um, traveled around Thailand for the duration of my visa. I was I was on an island. I was like an overnight ferry away when I realized that my visa was about to expire and like had to jump then from down to Malaysia, um, Singapore, Indonesia was actually where I found the oil that is the strain of citronella that now powers our insect repellent. So didn't know it at the time, but it really was a beautiful kind of full circle moment. How did you come moment. across that? Uh, so I had landed in, in Thailand, or excuse me, I landed in Indonesia, the, like right in the middle of the rainy season, mm. which is so Instagram meets reality. I can't, I can't even tell you because in you get way? there and it's these beautiful sunsets. It's absolutely, like it's one of the most exquisite countries that you'll ever be in. It's also rice paddies and it's hot, which means that there's a lot of standing water and there's a ton of bugs. And so you're sitting there and you're like looking at this, this gorgeous vista, right? Like these like sky is all of these hues of blues like and purples. And in. it's just like, and you're getting eaten alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and you're like, I, I love this, but I can't, I can't enjoy this. And so that was a moment to me too, where right? Like you're in this place where people want to be out there. They want to be experiencing this, but you can't because there's quite literally something that is biting you away. And so I had gone to this local little market I was like, DEET? Do you have DEET? Like insect repellent? What do you have? That's what it's and, called? Um, no, no. DEET is the is the typical active ingredient. It was what I was familiar oh. with. Um, it was what we used all the time. It's it's prevalent in most conventional. D-E-E-T? Um, D-E-E-T. Mm-hmm. And it was a, um, it's a synthetic compound that was developed by the Army in the 1940s. Oh, wow. Commercially introduced in the 1950s. Has not changed since then. Um, it's still the, the predominant active ingredient in most conventional repellents today. Um, we are actually starting to see some mosquito strains develop uh, resistance to it, um, which is kind of concerning given that that's, totally. the, that's the predominant ingredient in most repellents. But um, that was what I knew, and that was what I was familiar so with from all these existed, times yeah. growing up. And, and, you know, Minnesota, we have this running joke that the mosquitoes are state bird. And so it was no stranger to it, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I got to Indonesia and I started asking around for what I knew. And it's the country there because so much of their tourism depends on the beauty of their natural environment that they actively are, are trying to use only ingredients that are known to be safe, both to the people that are using them and also to the environment in which they are being used. And so it shouldn't necessarily come as a surprise then, but they didn't have deep. They didn't have many of the conventional ingredients that I was used to finding in repellents, but they did have a local blend of oils that, you know, that they sold me and and they were like, this will work. Was it like in a little bottle? (laughs) Yeah. It was just this little spray bottle of oils and, you know, you shook it before you used it. And I was like, this is, this is never going to work. And to my surprise, it did. 
And it worked throughout my time in Indonesia. It worked. I went on from there, as I said, to, to Vietnam. And um, it worked while I was there and got back to California. Eventually, it ran out. And I was like, okay, well, that's the end of that. And I went back to, to buying off and, you know, all the usual stuff. And it wasn't um, then until, you know, jumping forward a few years, at that point I had gotten back from traveling and started working for Modern Citizen, which is this incredible um, women's fashion e-commerce company. And I joined the founders as their first full-time hire and really had sort of answered the check mark of, yes, I love being an operator. I love being in this space where you're getting to build a community and building something for the first time. Did you do that move because you weren't 100% certain that you wanted to work for yourself? Yes. Yes. In like a lot you didn't of ways. feel confident enough yet? I didn't know what I wanted to build. And I think one one of the things that I do think that happens sometimes right now with like the glorification of entrepreneurship mm-hmm. is that people sometimes jump into something and then start looking for an idea. And I maybe that works for some people. That wasn't what the path that felt right for me. And I knew, so I knew that I would want to build something. I wasn't sure what it was. And I also was fully cognizant of the fact that I wanted more experience. I don't ever think that you're going to be fully ready unless maybe you've built one company before, but I felt like there was an, there was an opportunity to learn a little bit more from founders that I admired and and feel like I was able to get a bit more of that hands-on experience. Yeah. When you went on that trip though, did you go with the intention of trying to find what that thing was or like it was really just a you trip trying to like get get like closer <laughs> together with nature like what I guess like I'm asking like when you found that citronella were you like yeah. oh this this could be something and then like had it in the back pocket and then came came after it later no you know I'd love to say that there was a grander plan but really I was just I wanted to learn I wanted I went into that that travel just feeling like there were experiences to be had and people to meet and places to see and was just wanting to sort of push myself into that world. It's sort of one of those things where, you know, I knew that there was learning to be had. I didn't know what it was going to look like. And I actually think that having the lack of expectations around that was what allowed me to sort of fully say yes and fully lean into it. Um, Because I do think that there's, there's sometimes where we put so many expectations on it and it can be limiting because then you're only solving for the one thing that you've stepped Totally. Stepped in to solve, right? And so I'm not like I, exposing <clears throat> yourself to everything else that that has to offer. Right. I was just there to say yes. I could go. Right. I could go to a place. And there was there was also too. And this is something that I've reflected on a bit. I feel like as a woman, it was actually really amazing to be in a space where I was I was just solving for myself every day. I would wake up. If I wanted to leave a place, I would leave. If I wanted to take a nap, I would take a nap. If so I felt boring. like I wanted to you know, make a meal or anything that I wanted to do, I was free to do that. And so getting into that space of just asking myself what I needed versus sort of always relying on either society or my loved ones or, you know, to kind of say what they wanted and what needed and sort of performing that. So I felt like that was really empowering as well. I'm sure that that also helped you when you finally did decide to go and start something. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sure that like a lot of those experiences, you were like, well, whatever, if I can get through going through five different countries, like, oh my gosh, yeah. You know? Yes, absolutely. It gives you a sense of just confidence in yourself for sure. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think a lot of starting a company as with many things, a lot of it is just about persistence Mm -hmm. um, and perseverance because you are in this world in which lovingly 
like you're getting beaten from all sides every day. Um, and some of it is amazing and fun and it's pushing you in ways and you feel like you're learning and you're curious and it's a joyful learning space. And yeah. sometimes it just feels like the world is out to teach you something. Mm -hmm. And there's a level of stick with itness that you get to where you, totally. yeah, you have to know that I'm like, well, I've trekked through things that I didn't think I could make it through, but you have a backpack on your back and, uh, camp is four more hours away through this jungle. So you got are you going to lay down or are you going to keep going? And you're like, all right, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to make a game up so that I, you know, can, can totally. keep counting these steps or doing whatever it is that I need to do. Um, but it, it does, it, it really does kind of teach you that you are stronger than you think you are. And it, I think that that's a really important lesson to learn because I think so many things, so many things go wrong oftentimes when we start to doubt ourselves and yeah. not to, I, it's hard because I think um, it's so easy to say, oh, just have more confidence in yourself. But there's something about physically moving yourself through a, a space or it's something that I really love about rock climbing as well, actually, because- Where do you rock climb? Um, I'm, I've tried a couple of different places in the city, but I'm, I've am i tried Brooklyn Boulders. Um, I've been dying to go there. Oh, we should go. Yeah. Let's make it happen. Yeah. I'd love to take you. Um, because I feel like the, the beautiful thing about it is that even if everything else goes wrong in a day, you're like, well, I was able to get myself to the top of that rope. I was able to get my to the top of that hill. Um, and it's those small wins that I actually think do reinforce your belief in yourself and your strength and knowing that you can, if it's just a matter of getting to the other side, like I've always said that if sheer will were an Olympic sport, I would be competing. Like that's, if that's all it takes is, is just sticking with something long enough for it to succeed. Great. The safest bet that I've ever made is the bet that I can make on myself. Wow. That's so powerful. I feel like that's something that I think is probably innate in you. And I think it's probably something that you work towards also. And I would love to know what are, aside from rock climbing, like what are yeah. mental things or any things that you do to like actively practice that and make sure that you're doing that every single day? Um, you know, it changes, but I really think that a lot of it, a lot of sort of finding that I, I guess practice really comes down to what your values are. And I had you know, had kind of thought for many years, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I don't know what my values are. And then I, I started reflecting on it on a fairly regular basis, not in any sort of system, but just journaling about it every so often of like, what do I feel? When did I feel great this week? When mm -hmm. did I not feel great this week? Like, when was I bored? When was I, you know, motivated? When did I lose myself in flow? And paying attention. Exactly. Um, and what I noticed was that it always came back to people for me. So I realized that I felt the best when I was feeling like I was supporting the people that I love, feeling like I was supporting the communities that I was in, being able to have positive interactions, honestly, with strangers. Like, I don't I don't also think, like, when I say my people, I truly mean the people that I love and I'm very close to, but I also mean, like, the kind strangers on the street that just, like, give you back a glove when you've dropped it, or also sometimes the ones that are a little salty and might, you know, push you to make sure, like, are you, I know you said you're a positive person, but like, can you still be positive through someone like elbowing you on the street and not saying sorry? And you're, you know, that literally like, happened to me on the way here. Right. <laughs> right. And the instinct is to kind of be like, oh, oh, like, ah, now I feel, yeah. I feel weird. Like, what was their problem? But instead, you can look at that and be like, wow, oh, they must really be in a rush. I'm sure that I hope they're getting something important yeah. if they make it. Um, and so framing that and just recognizing that. I feel the best when I'm in a place where I feel like I'm contributing positively to the people that are around me, both the ones that I love and choose to keep close and also just the people that I pass in the day to day. 
And so Kinfield for me really comes from that place of wanting to feel like I'm contributing in a positive way. And is that why it's kin? Yes. It's, okay. So Kinfield is quite literally like your kin in a field. It's this, it's this ode to a love of shared outdoor gatherings. Love. And this. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> I love <laughs> that. Um, and it, it comes back to that because it really is as much as I love and I've grown up with this sort of like very rugged, intense version of the outdoors where like you can buy this jacket and trek to the top of Mount Everest. Uh, I found that that can be alienating to people. And I saw that with my friends who would come and say, I really want to to hike, but I don't have the right hiking boots. And I was like, well, we're going on a two mile walk. <laughs> like this is like, you can wear whatever shoes you've got on. Like yeah. this is going to be fine. And I wanted it to be this joyful place. Like it should be, you know, you and I should be able to go have a picnic in the park and not have it feel like it's some, you know, I think like foreboding thing where, and for me, it really like Kinfield comes back to this place of like, we know that that time in the outdoors has real mental, emotional health benefits. So how can we be in a place where we can open that door and encourage more people to get out there and create products that are going to enable them to do that? Thinking back to, you know, the getting eaten alive yeah. in Bali, how can we make products that make it so that people can stay in those moments totally. um, and enjoy them and be a part reap of the them benefits as long as you possibly reap the can. benefits. Yeah. Exactly. Because you look now at the health crisis that we're experiencing both as a nation and also as a, as a larger society. And it's, it's really hard for a lot of people. They, they feel lost. They feel, you know, I think out of touch in many ways, both with the people that are around them and the world that's around them. And by getting outdoors for 15 minutes in a day can have real mental, emotional benefits. And so we want people to be able to do that and to do that with a friend and do so in a joyful way that doesn't feel like they're not good enough or they don't have the right gear or, you know, what have you. It's really about encouraging the backyard barbecues and the day hikes and the park picnics. But I want people to feel free to get outdoors in whatever way that moves them and be able to activate that benefit that and, get, and sort of recognize that that the joy that comes from being out there. Is that what you would say is your active ingredient right now? Mm, I think so. I really think it comes back to the joy of being outdoors and being able to. And for you personally too. Yeah. You know, I think um, what gets me through the hard days is knowing that we are having that impact on people's lives. And it truly, I mean, the, the, when we get an email in from someone saying that this is the first non-toxic repellent that they've ever tried that actually works for them. And, you know, I remember in the early days when we were testing and we were, we went through a 14 month R and D process with the repellent. So it was a long, long journey. And thank you deeply to all of my friends who participated and every stranger <laughs> that had the, you know, said, I'm going, I'm going camping in two weeks. And I was like, I'm going to send you with this unmarked bottle of spray. Let me know what you think of it. Um, but I remember getting voice memos from a dear friend of mine, who had taken the repellent with her on a trip to Greece. And she is someone who historically has told me that she's like, I will say no to, you know, these beautiful alfresco dinners in Brooklyn because I know I'm going to get eaten alive. And it makes me sad, but I also will welt up and I'll be sick for two weeks. I'm like, I don't want to, it's not worth it. No dinner is worth that. And I got these voice memos from her and it was really late. And they were, um, she was while she was in on this trip in Greece. And she just said, you know, she said, I've never had this happen before. 
but I was the last one to want to leave this dinner. She's like, all of my friends were getting bitten and they wanted to go home. And we were at this beautiful, like beautiful dinner in Santorini and we're outside and we're like looking at the water. And it's this incredible moment. And normally I would have been the first person to be like, okay, great, let's go, bye. But she just said, thank you. Thank you for making so something incredible. that has allowed me to stay and to be in this, this beautiful environment and not have to leave. Um, and knowing that, I mean, like it still, it still like makes me emotional just to think about it now because that was all I ever wanted. I all, all I ever wanted with Kinfield is to be able to create more of those moments and enable people to live the lives that they want and be able to be outdoors and be able to say yes to those moments. And that was, you know, those kinds of experiences so is really I can't wait like to what try it. <laughs> um, I can't so, wait. You'll have to book a trip. I, I know it's a little I mean, cold in New York right now. Literally, so. tell me what. I'm, I'm the most down sick of all time. You're from Miami. So I'm this from is Miami. Perfect. Well, yeah, Zika's definitely, I don't know how that's affected your it's business. Real. When did you launch? We just launched this summer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like past the the Zika frenzy. A little past Zika, thankfully. Um, although that we, I know that there was a triple E outbreak in Maine this year. Um, and we've definitely gotten some notes in about that, about people using it in those environments, which is, it's scary. That's Stay safe, so guys. crazy. <laughs> Um, so I want to get into when you were at Modern C Citizen and yeah. when you decided that you wanted to take this on. Like, I feel like it was something that was probably in the back of your mind. But what was it that kind of catapulted you to take your first steps? And then what were your first steps? Mm. Well, I'll start by saying I loved my time with Modern Citizen. Um, the two founders are brilliant, dynamic women, and they had created an, a great culture and I, I loved our community that we were building. So it had to be something that was amazing to, to pull me away from that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really lose sight of wanting to someday create something of my own. So every, every idea that I had, I was evaluating it on three criteria. I said, you know, number one, is this something, is this an idea that actually needs to exist in the world? Is there a real market for this? Um, number two, is this something that, um, I, I'm deeply passionate about, like that I would want to spend the next five, seven, 10, however many years building and working on it and really be ingrained in it 23 or 24 hours of a day. Um, and then number three, do I also have to be the person to build this? These are, you know, there's a lot of things out there that I was really passionate about, but I was like, oh, I think a lot of people could build this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but for me with Kinfield, when I got, when I realized that I was like, wow, this is the perfect combination of growing up in Minnesota, having used these products my entire life, seeing the real value of being outdoors, and then going out to California and having transitioned many of my skincare, beauty, home cleaning products into cleaner, better alternatives mm -hmm. to the conventional versions, and had gone through that journey and seen the real benefits to doing that in other areas of my life. And I realized it was actually I was getting ready to take a group of friends out to Yosemite. I was packing for this trip, putting all of these like beautifully designed, thoughtfully created, sustainably sourced skincare products into my bag and realized that all of the outdoor things that I was bringing were the same conventional products that I had grown up with in Minnesota. And that felt really odd to me because I realized I wasn't still using the same, you know, window cleaner, the same yeah. facial scrub, like none of those things. Yeah. And so like, why was I still using the same repellent, the same like dyed artificially green aloe gel? Like, mm -hmm. this, it just felt really odd to me. And so the more that I dug into it, more I realized that there was such an opportunity to not only create better products that were better, cleaner alternatives to those conventional goods, but also to build a brand that, like I said, spoke to this way of 
what I was doing within my friends and my, my immediate community, which is like getting people outdoors. Like, let's go, like, let's go do a hike. It doesn't have to be this big totally. intense thing. And so with being at Modern Citizen and having seen what it was like, we were bootstrapping the business. And so we were really being scrappy and creative and building that community through partnerships and through events and really kind of like person by person, bit by bit. But when I got the idea for Kinfield, which was on a trip in July of 2017, and I spent about six months asking friends, well, what products are you using? You know, I was in this Facebook group, the Bay Area Outdoor Women. And I remember- Did you like source citronella for yourself? Like while- I I did. So that was actually, well, it wasn't until, so I I ended up leaving Modern Citizen. I realized that I was possessed by this thing and um, never wanted to do something half-heartedly. I was like, I can't, I wanted to be either in at Modern Citizen 150% or in at Kinfield 150%. And I realized that I couldn't, you know, the same logic actually that I had applied to when I left on my trip. I was like, well, I regret not doing this. Mm -hmm. And the answer was yes. And I was like, if I don't do this and I'm 80 years old looking back being like, wow, what if I had just done, I was like, I need to go, go do this thing. And fortunately the team was incredibly supportive. And so I made the decision to go full-time. And the very first thing that I did was fly back to Indonesia to source our citronella. And that came as a result of spending months and months and months talking to everyone that I could get my hands on about what products they were using, whether they had worked, if they had ever used something that had worked. We started with the repellent because that was the most obvious problem. Although we obviously have have, have multiple products across different categories now. But I found that the repellent was the most... It's like the key product. It's the one thing that is, I feel like, you have to replace that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Do you know what the side effects or, like, the negative effects of DEET are? You know, there, it really depends on what your personal experience with it. Some people use it and are totally fine. I actually... I mean, when you put, like, not to, like, shit on (laughs) off, but, like, when you put off on... I feel like I'm literally intoxicated by chemicals. Like, I'm just yeah. like, what the fuck is this? Like, well, and it, it melts plastics, which I find really what? concerning. Yeah, don't you don't use it around like an Apple Watch or anything like that. Like, it's, it, yeah. And I, what I also find really concerning about it is actually the environmental effects. We know that DEET is really toxic to aquatic life. And so when you're putting it on and then jumping in a lake or jumping in the ocean, like, barring however it may make you feel. It sounds like you've had, you know, I don't, I don't think you're alone in the experience that you just described. I know I it just literally feels like chemicals and like you inhale it and you're like coughing and it's just like this whole thing. Right. I have really visceral. I have memories of being a kid. I mean, Miami, we got bit all the time and we literally sprayed head to toe and yep. You do that where you starfish and you, you know, your parents are like, close your eyes, close your mouth, you know, and you, you do that. And yeah, it's not great. It's not a great experience. Yeah. So it makes sense that that's like the key. Yeah. It starts as, um, like solve the obvious pain point first, right? Yeah. And we knew that that was a real problem. It's also, I mean, it brings my family no end of joy that I now have my life's work now is working on insect repellents because of all <laughs> things, like pick a pick a less sexy category, but um, I, I challenge you, but but I love it, you know? And it's, it, it's one of those things where um, we're, like I said, we're solving a real problem, which yeah. I, I think is, is a deeply, deeply satisfying to me on a really personal level too. But um, we, I knew that I wanted to, to create this better repellent. And so that was really where I started was mm-hmm. like the market research on that, trying to understand what products people were using. It was getting people who were saying, I've ordered quite literally everything on Amazon. You can have them. None of them work. Um, and what I noticed through all of that was I kept thinking back to the one repellent that I had used that mm-hmm. wasn't 
deep based right. um, that had worked. And when I was looking at it, and I had actually kept the little bottle of it, just like in like my bo- my bottle of empties. And I was looking at it, and I realized that the strain of citronella that was listed on the back, because every time you, most of the time you, when you buy something with an essential oil yeah. and it has the scientific name. And I noticed that the scientific name was different than what I was seeing on the other bottles that I was buying from that weren't working that weren't working. And so when I was looking into it and what it turns out is actually, so the strain of citronella that is grown in Indonesia and in Brazil and in a handful of other parts of the world actually has higher percentages of the three compounds that repel insects. So if you look, you do, it's called the certificate of analysis so that you get anytime you buy a wrong, wrong ingredient and you can actually see the numbers of the breakdown, it'll say, you know, it's 37% of this and 47%, you know, you can actually see in that breakdown that it has these higher percentages of these compounds. So it is in effect, even though it's still a citronella, it's a better strain than what the majority of companies are using. So wild. And so it is, right? Like it's, it's, um, and I have no background in product development. And so I was really going at this from a position. Did you find the exact one? So yes, so that was that was the first thing that I did. So I flew to Indonesia. I wanted to source. I knew I, I knew what kind of citronella I wanted. I wasn't sure where I would get it. I yeah. knew that Indonesia awesome. was a great place to to find it. Uh-huh. Um, and being that I didn't have a company, didn't have you know a web presence to speak of. I mean, it was really tough to find a supplier. And I also had this laundry is it list. This one? It is, yeah. That's, that's it. Golden Hour is our. Our repellent, you'll notice that has a strong scent oh, of. <laughs> it's so good. Thank you. That's the vanillin in the formula as well. Oh my god! So it gets you get these like nice citrusy lemongrass also notes, so and cute. then also thank you. Yeah, we spent a, we spent a, we put a lot of love into the packaging. We wanted it to be um, without getting I think too esoteric about it, okay. but we wanted it to feel transparent and um, modern, but also an homage to the topographic maps and things that I remember oh, looking at as a cute. child. So the, you know, the river path that runs through all of our packaging. I love that. Um, thank you. So, okay. I want, I want details on your first steps because you raised money. <laughs> you went to Indonesia. You, yes. Did you raise before you went to Indonesia? No. Okay. No, I didn't. It's actually also like, it, why did you want to raise money? Well, so creating products is a really expensive business. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, you have to go source the raw materials, um, or you work with, choose to work with a lab who is going to have a certain set number of minimums. Packaging has its own minimums as well. Like there's just, there's an upfront cost of investment, Mm -hmm. um, that just comes with creating physical goods that you needed to solve for. The other thing for me too, is just recognizing that to build the brand the way that I wanted was going to require additional capital. And also my own experience was going to require additional capital, both in terms of advisors, ex- people who had done it before. And I was able to find these ma- amazing set of investors who have invested in many consumer brands and have been able to be incredible resources for me, just being able to say, oh, you know, we're curious about this product or this initiative. Like, do any of your other portfolio companies, have they tried it? Have they gone through this experience? You know, when I was doing in early days of like, building out the team or building the website and you get ingrained in this incredible community of founders mm-hmm. that in part is from being, you know, in a venture backed portfolio. How did um, you start like building your network? I feel like San Fran has a ton of, a ton of those <laughs> folks, but like how, how did you approach it? Like, did you have any sort of business background? Is anyone, was anyone like in your family or close circle, like helping you have these conversations? Like, I feel like it's, as a first-time entrepreneur, I feel like I have zero idea how to approach it. So like, for someone that is 
is also listening that is interested in starting something that needs upfront capital. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had background, but if you didn't, can you explain what your process was so we can kind of have an idea of what to do? Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, um, first of all, kudos for for starting something that really is Thanks. the hardest the hardest step. I think. So the question, the first question is, should you raise outside money? Um, mm-hmm. There are many, many different forms. I think we oftentimes venture capital money is the the most common thing that we hear about now, but um, and it's also the most accessible yeah. in some ways because small business loans from banks usually require multiple years of revenue to be able to demonstrate that, which isn't feasible for people that are starting out. Venture capital dollars aren't the right option for many companies, but they are if that is the path that you choose to go down. Which so for me. I had never done this before. Even the company Modern Citizen, we weren't a venture-backed brand. And so I hadn't even really been close to other companies that had raised money. Fortunately, I have a number of friends who have started companies before. And so I was able to kind of talk with them and talk through that experience. And what I found is that if you are trying to raise venture money, rather than go to venture capitalists and say, how should I raise money from you? Um, I would start with founders. And, you know, whether, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, then you're already on the right step of of trying to glean what you can from mm-hmm. people who have done it before. Um, I've found that the founder community truly are the most generous people in terms I of- I want to pay it forward for sure. Exactly. Because, and that's that's exactly it, is so many of the kind of early questions, which now I, I look back on some of the questions that I asked in my early days um, and I laugh about them. I mean, it's, it's honestly like they were, they were the things that, which I think is a great sign. It means like, you're well, asking for example. a good question. I mean, I, I remember calling a, a dear friend of mine who is, who is at, who's listened to many, many, many of my, of, of these similar questions. I remember calling her and being like, what is a margin? How like oh my I, god I, I, I feel good that I'm not alone <laughs> oh in like god. literally having to have my boyfriend explain to me margins every no, two seconds. I had I had no <laughs> idea, and I I remember calling her and being like, "What is a margin? What goes into a margin? Um, what is a good margin? How like what?" And and these are the things which you know now you you sort of keep up leveling and up leveling, right? And now now I you know know what a margin is and and can talk to our margins in my sleep, but. I mean, start where you start, right? And don't be ashamed of asking those questions because you might come across the odd egg who isn't generous with their time or or hopefully no one ever makes you feel bad for asking those questions, but we all started there. And honestly, I was asking those questions what, like no one was born knowing ago? how to raise money. No, right? Like that's, no one was born knowing how to do and anything. And it's such a weird thing, right? Like yeah. it's such a it's such a funny process. Like as with anything, yeah. it's its own culture. It's its own with its own norms, its own rules, its own systems, and no one would ever expect you to yeah. know that. Um, and if anyone does, then stop talking to them. Totally. Go, so go how, talk to what somebody was else. your process like? So um, you had these founders. So I had I have other founders that were in the Bay Area, um, other and, and in LA and in New York, and just started asking them. I talked to friends of mine that I had known. Many of them were companies that I had met during my time at Modern Citizen when we were actively just looking for other female-founded brands to partner with. And so fortunately, I'd had the opportunity to work with them through events and partnerships there. And so many of them I just called up and I said, well, you did decide to raise money. Why did you decide to do that? What was the hardest thing about building your business? What, you know, what would you give, advice would you give to me if I'm starting out? Um, And really being able to sort of lean on them. And again, because and now I find myself in the same position, which is that I leaned so much on the experience of the people who were one year, two year, three years ahead of me mm-hmm. um, that I now very actively try whenever possible to be able to pay that forward. And I think part of it, part of my 
I think one piece of advice that I could give there is find people who are just a little bit ahead of you. So part of the problem That's is great I think advice. we go right. We see, and I and I love, I absolutely adore Guy Raz's podcast of how I built this. But sometimes you get people in there who all, you're listening to it, and you're like, you started this company 25 years ago. Like when you're talking about should I incorporate as an LLC or a C corp or or we're actually incorporated as a B corp, which no one knew what, oh, like wow. how, to, how to do that. But it was really important to me. I wanted to make sure that we had the foundation of being able to put our money where our mouth is in terms of being able to actively support responsible. Can you explain that to listeners? Because I feel like people yeah. at start are very like daunted by the LLC, <laughs> B Corp, S Corp, like all of it. Yeah. What what does B Corp mean and how much longer does that take to, to get? It, so the crazy thing is, is it actually doesn't take much more time. Oh, like really? The process is, the process is the very same. similar. So what a, what a B Corp is, and from a taxation perspective, you know, talk to a professional, but I think <laughs> you're in court. You're, we, uh, you're, you're treated the same as a C Corp from a tax perspective. Um, but being a B Corp means that you are able to put forth a public statement of what you are going to do to contribute to a public benefit. And so for us, that means that we are committed publicly and internally, of course, to encouraging- And with the IRS. And with the IRS, exactly, um, to responsible environmental stewardship and encouraging that within our communities, um, doing that with um, our, personally through um, doing things like reducing our carbon footprint, using sustainable and responsible packaging. And what that allows us to do is retain that commitment across all levels of the business. It does not mean being a nonprofit. We are still a corporation, totally. but we got those margins. Yes. Got, <laughs> I've learned what a margin is. We have great, we, you know, you like, you get to that process. Um, but we are, but we also have this twin benefit of not only creating value for our shareholders, which is the fundamental aspect of what mm -hmm. being a corporation is, but we also are able to make decisions that allow us to serve this other purpose, which is that stewardship element. And so what that means, for example, is when we were formulating Water Balm, which is our solid moisturizer, it's oil-free, wax-free. So it's an amazing moisturizer, both on its own and then also something that you can layer with others. I love, especially in winter months, putting it on with a facial oil. But it is um, because it doesn't have any waxes in it. It relies on an ingredient called butylene glycol to keep its shape. So butylene glycol is typically derived from petroleum, which is a fossil fuel, which didn't feel great for us. So we love it as an ingredient. It's super safe. It's good for you. It's all of these really wonderful, has all these really wonderful benefits. There's there's nothing wrong with it. But from a sourcing perspective, it Doesn't something feel fell right. off. Yeah. It, it didn't feel right. And so I went back to the team and I said, look, we love this ingredient, but is there any alternative that we have? Can we source it in a different way? Or is there a different version of this that's more environmentally friendly? Like this doesn't, isn't sitting right with our, this other mission that we mm -hmm. have. And we actually were able to find a form of butylene glycol that's derived from corn sugar, fermented corn sugar in Europe. And there's one supplier in the world that spent years working on it. You are such a problem solver. I cannot. <laughs> you know, but it's how did you find that you. one supplier? Oh, Googling. Honestly, the things you can find with Googling. And we and but half of the question is like, or half of the the battle with that kind of thing is just asking. So it was just it was asking, can we do better here? Can we find a better alternative here? And doing my own, you know, late night like non-petroleum butylene glycol, not, you know, like Googling yeah. around and we were able to find the supplier and, and they basically ferment corn in Europe That's and so it turns crazy. it into the same. So if I handed you two sticks of 
our product, one which was made with the petroleum-derived version and the other one which was made with the version that we use, you as an end consumer wouldn't know the difference. Honestly, I wouldn't know the difference. The hand fills the same. It's the same active like ingredient, but it depends on where it's coming from. And so we've been able to then close that loop and do that in service to both creating an amazing product, but also doing that in a way that allows us to kind of rest our heads easy at night, knowing that we haven't done anything that's kind of contributing to lasting damage in that way. That's so incredible. Your process seems to me like you are very well versed in delayed gratification Mm. and like it might take longer. It might be slower, but like your end product is checking every box of the core values of the company. And I feel like this day and age, especially with a product that's like an Instagram friendly, like everything is so fast. How how do you stay true to that when I'm sure that like your investors or whoever like maybe want you to produce more products. Like how is that something that's like such a gut check and like how has that process led to the success of, of Kinfield of being like mm. just more delayed in, in producing? Yeah, it has been hard. Definitely the world moves at 90 miles an hour these days. And I certainly have that pressure on myself. I remember first starting Kinfield and not having any idea what it took to make a product or to create something. And I remember telling people in March of 2018 being like, oh yeah, we'll definitely be live by summer. And then when we launched the following year, um, so a full 14 months later and found out at that point in time, because, you know, you, then you know now what you you knew then, but at that point when I said, oh, we were able to launch this in 14 months and people who are much more familiar with the industry said, wow, that's really fast. And I think it's, it's, all a matter of perspective, right? Totally. But I've found that if you if something is worth doing, then it's worth doing well. And if it's not worth doing well, then it's probably not worth doing. And so yeah, I you're you're it's an interesting point, this idea around like delayed gratification. Um, because I find that as with anything, if I'm building something that I really believe in, then I it doesn't matter how long it takes. Right. Um, of course, like my preferred mode is that 150 miles an hour. I, I totally. Said, and there's my, also like a feeling of like there isn't another product out there that I can think of that is doing something in a similar thing in a similar space. So you also want to like be pushing this forward and like getting your product there first. And like mm-hmm. it's like it's literally a, a tug and pull of like let's get it out there, but also like if you want longevity with anything you have to have that sort of delayed gratification and have integrity with every step, especially if you're a B Corp, especially if you have all these values, all these things. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's such a delicate balance. So I'm just like, I, I just yeah. am curious to know how you deal with that. Well, I think part of it is knowing what you're solving for, right? So I could sit here and tell you the 15 things that I want to change about our formula, our packaging, our website, our, you know, just because yeah. that's the kind of person that I am is yeah. I'll finish something and I'll say, great job. It looks amazing. Okay, so we have four other things. Totally. <laughs> like, and now that I'm seeing it live, I want to, you know, update this and tweak it this. And it's there's, I think, a restlessness that comes with ambition that mm-hmm. always pushes you to think, how can we make this better? How can we fine-tune this? How we can we continue yeah. to improve this? But if you sit on something until it's perfect, you'll never go live. And so I came out of the gate and said, What are we solving for in this first iteration of everything that we're doing? And I said, you know, I with the repellent, for example. My my initial thing was I was like, I want it to be able to have demonstrable efficacy, which is to say efficacy that can be proven by an independent third-party lab 
And I want it to be a better alternative. Of course, I wanted it to be sourced well and to be able to, you know, have a great hand feel and and be able to do these things. But I really wanted to solve for efficacy with clean ingredients. And that was the the number one primary thing that we were solving for. And the other bonuses that we had of I wanted the formula to dry quickly and I wanted it to have, you know, a a nice scent to it and having all of those Those things, those were the add-ons. But if we had a formula that dried quickly, but didn't work, we were never going to approve it. So it had to be able to perform. And so when we were going through the R&D process, it was having that clarity of what are we trying to put out the door here, barring all of the other side improvements, but like, what's the number one thing that we're solving for? And so when we were going through the R&D process, we got the formula to a place from a from a like anecdotal perspective that we felt like we were pretty good with. And we sent it off to a lab that we work with to do this testing um, that they work with 80 Egypti mosquitoes, which are the same ones that carry Zika, yellow fever and dengue. And they came back and they said, OK, great. We, you know, we ran the tests. We saw an hour average of I'm trying to remember what our first I think it was like an hour and 40 minutes. And I was like, OK, Good, but I think we can do better. Yeah. And what I didn't realize until later that I was solving for was in my head, I was thinking, okay, well, sunscreen is applied every two hours. And we as consumers have gotten used to that behavior of you get in the water, you get out, you put more sunscreen on. I'm like, well, people are probably using these in same, in similar environments. Mm -hmm. So they're already reapplying sunscreen and that's every two hours. I think we should at least hit that. So that's what I want is my efficacy mark. So we went back and we did a, like more R&D, more anecdotal testing, more sending it out with friends and family, going back through it, got the formula to what we thought, again, was going. we were like, this is going to be it. So we sent it off. And when we got back and they said, okay, great. Now we're seeing an average of just under three hours of efficacy. And for me, that felt great. That was what I wanted. I wanted us. And yes, I, and like, listen, the perfectionist in me as I'm like, well, if you can't put it on and have it, you know, last for the next 12 hours, like, sure. Yes. In a perfect world, I would love that. There. We'll get there. We're working <laughs> on it. Stay tuned for more. Um, but as a first iteration, what I wanted was a product that would solve for the recreational use case. And as soon as we got that and felt like that was in a good place, I was like, let's ship it. Let's get it out the door. Let's use this opportunity to start the conversation with our community, see what feedback they have. We could also, they could care about something that we're not even thinking about. So let's solve for this first thing, this first use case, and then we'll learn. And it's a conversation that we have with our community all the time. And so this idea of delayed ratification, I think in some part, it's because what you're trying to get to is an ever-evolving process. And by engaging your community, like, what you're delaying like may end up actually being something totally different from what you started 100%. off with. So it's like solving things in incremental ways um, and really being clear about what it is that you're going after. Totally. How did you launch? We launched online. So because this is 2019, yeah. the era of direct-to-consumer. Um, so we launched with our first three products. We have Golden Hour, which is our deep-free insect repellent. We have- it's going around this room. <laughs> You're smelling it, right? Yeah. Um, and we have Sunday Spray, which is our take on an aloe gel. It's actually an after sun aloe mist. It's super cooling, calming, mm. um, great for after a workout. And then we have Water Balm, which is our solid moisturizer. 
And all three of those products are designed to be carry-on friendly um, based on feedback that I heard from many, many people who were saying like, great idea. (laughs) Thank you. So smart. Again, you know, we're thinking about if you're jetting off on a trip to Mexico, you probably don't want to be checking a bag if the, if you one thing that's in your bag, that's four ounces or more. Like why? Especially if like the core of the business is to get people to go out. Like if you're going on a weekend trip and you just need to carry on, like that's, it's so smart. We want it to be easy. We're all about making things as easy breezy as we can. And so we came out of the door with our first three products. You can buy them individually or as what we call our weekender kit. Um, we launched with our, our out of office hats, which, you know, you're wearing right now. You look great. Um, and we launched direct to consumer really because that was what was going to give us the most direct path to our community from day one. I do think that retail is a really interesting opportunity for us specifically because of how people buy these products. So repellent is not something that you typically think to buy out of time. Aloe, similarly, you usually buy it when you have the problem. It's not something that you proactively think about. And so, you know, we launched with Goop a few weeks ago. Um, They've been an incredible partner for us. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, we really feel like they were the perfect kind of like first retail partner for Mm us. We've also had an amazing opportunity to work with Neighborhood Goods, which is really, I think, redefining the retail experience as well. Um, And we've had, you know, have loved working with their team in Plano and are are working with them on some some future projects as well. but retail for us, I really think, is is going to be our biggest opportunity as a brand because, you know, we really keep coming back to what is the customer experience that we're trying to create and what is the experience that we want people to have. We want we want it to be easy, right. which for some people means utilizing things like we launched with same day delivery via bike courier here in, in New York and, um, and in Brooklyn. And and which was great. It was funny, actually, because if you look at all of those orders, basically all of them came through on a Thursday because we figured that everyone's probably packing for the weekend totally. and realizing that they want to have something. But it means that we need to be able to get these products to the where people need them most. Yeah. And that means utilizing unconventional retail partners, hotels. So, you know, boutique Smart. hotel chains, like thinking about how do we get the product to where you need it? And then obviously thinking through retail as well. Um, but places like Goop have been have been amazing partners for us at also helping to get us um, to the right communities. Yeah. The only other way that I would think of myself as a consumer wanting to seek that out and buy it online would also be the avenue of Amazon, which is everything. Mm -hmm. Have you thought about that? We have. You know, we're not on Amazon yet. I think that they're – it's interesting. It's been very much a topic of conversation among many founder groups that I'm in of Mm -hmm. of people saying like – you know, are you on Amazon? Are you not? I think though, what you give up in terms of control of brand mm-hmm. in that way, um, you know, we we put a lot of love into the boxes that we have totally. that we ship with. That everything's SFI certified, which is a sustainable forestry initiative. Um, we ship without any extra dunnage, which is fancy packaging. People speak yeah. another word that I had no idea what yeah. it was. Um, we're able to ship without any extra waste at all. And so you get the product in a reusable 100% cotton produce bag um, in a box that can be recycled. So we we really do what we can to try to minimize that waste. That being said, Amazon is an amazing avenue for distribution. And so it's something that we're we're talking about quite a bit internally. And and I'm surprised that they don't have an option for like sustainable type companies on packaging. 
I I think part of it is just scale. Yeah. I think they're so big now that it's really hard to allow companies, especially because they they really do put such an emphasis on the the fulfilled by Amazon mm-hmm. uh, route. I without being on Amazon, yeah. I can't speak to it personally. Um, but it, it is. It's something that I I hope that they'll do more of. Yeah. I think that would make it easier for a brand like ours to yeah. commit to being on Amazon. Totally. Um, but that is something that we're weighing. Of you know, how do you balance? making it easier for your community, but then access, also is yeah. that sacrificing other things. And that's something that we're still trying to wrap our head around. Yeah. I, don't I mean, I, I love asking people that have direct to consumer businesses that question just is like, I don't have a direct to consumer business, but it's something that I think about all the time. Like my dad has a small business and like, mm. I think about it for him. I'm like, that's just like, if you're going to be buying like snacks in bulk, you're probably going to be doing it on Amazon or mm-hmm. Whole Foods, Amazon delivery, whatever, you know what I mean? So it's just yeah. like, I'm just so curious as to how people approach that and like how it makes sense for people. Yeah. I also think that um, growing up in Minnesota, there is, and now having spent many years on the coasts, anytime I go home and, you know, we're, we're recording this right after Thanksgiving. So I was actually just home in Minnesota with my family. You kind of recognize that there is this swath of people that, you know, either it's Target or it's Costco Mm -hmm. or it's Walmart or it's CVS and Walgreens and, and all of these things. And if it's not that retail, Mm -hmm. it has to be online. Totally. And so I think that we are, we're extremely privileged to be in New York where you have these amazing pop-ups and these very curated experiences that come up that will introduce you to new brands. But when it comes to growth, it really does come to down to the question of how do you expand past the coast? Totally. How do you get into, that's um, the question. Into Especially exactly. if like the middle of America is also like the most, I would say, outdoorsy yes. <laughs> areas. Yeah. There, you know, yeah, like they can of benefit of it the most maybe. Yeah. And it will. And I think the beauty of being, of selling through our own website is, um, you know, I was, I was just looking through the orders that we had yesterday and they're from all over the country, which I love. Oh, I great. love seeing, that's so great. you know, you get orders coming in, you know, Alabama and South Carolina and Florida and, yeah. and it's really cool to see that a state that, you know, I haven't been to for many years, certainly could not be there physically, you know, selling it or explaining the product. Um, But I love the access that having our own website allows us and then, and retail too, then of course. And also like having the insights. I feel like you're also so young that like having just like that consumer insight and knowing your, your end consumer and just like knowing all those things, Amazon removes that from you. It does. So it then does, like, especially hard. when you're in like such a growth phase right now, like you're so young, like I think that's the most important thing when you're coming up with a new product, like having that insight from the people that are already using your product, mm-hmm. I think is super interesting. I'm just like, I'm always on like two sides of the coin with the Amazon question. And like, I never yeah. know what the right thing is, but I always, <laughs> I always question it for, I had, um, Cody, the founder of twice toothpaste. I'm like, mm-hmm. are you going to be on Amazon? Like I buy my, I buy I everything, everything on, on Amazon. Amazon, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like if I hear about a cool product, I, the first place I go look for it is on Amazon. Well, and the other interesting thing to consider too is that um, you also then have uh, not either counterfeits or resellers that will mm. then pop up on Amazon as well. So then it becomes a question of you – it may not be up to you whether or not your brand right. is being sold on Amazon. It's either you selling your brand on Amazon or someone else selling your brand on Amazon. Right. Um, and I've heard stories of founders who, you know, they run a sale and they'll get – someone will come through and buy – 20 units of something and then they'll pop up on Amazon two days later. And so then at that point, it's like, well, then 
you think that you might you be getting control of, it, of yeah. your brand on Amazon, but yeah, it's better that you at least are doing telling yeah. your story on Amazon. And so it's it's I don't think that there's a as with anything, right? right. Like there's no right answer. Yeah. Um, but I do think the what you described with being then one step away from your end consumer, that that happens any with any retailer, you yeah. know, goop, target neighborhood goods even, you always then will be one yeah. step removed. And that I think is where the beauty of things like events and Instagram, right? Like we love Instagram. I actually think that I know that social media gets a lot of flack. I have found that it is an, it's an amazing resource to be able to connect with people. We've gotten, you know, some great, some of the photographers that we've worked with have been people that we've met through Instagram. Amazing. And so you, there's more to community now than just that one-to-one selling relationship mm-hmm. with a customer. But but yes, in terms of things like product reviews or product feedback, even it is nice to be able to send an totally. email directly to the customer versus saying, if you've bought the product somewhere, anywhere, <laughs> let us know what you Come think back of it. To us, Come back to us. Let us know what you think. Tell us, know, tell um, us what you think. Especially when you're as feedback hungry as we are. So the point of the podcast, aside from interviewing amazing people that have figured some part of their lifestyle. (laughs) Um, It's generous, but I'll take it. Thank you. It really is for the person that is either wanting to start something or wanting to pivot in their careers or are just feeling stuck and they just don't know the first steps. They don't know what questions to ask themselves. They don't know whether to buy that ticket to travel. Like they're very much stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd love to hear from you what advice you would give to someone who really wants to have that feeling like you have that you want to go 150 miles an hour and like figure it out. What advice would you give to someone who wants that but doesn't even know how to start? Yeah. You know, I think – and I, I love the, the mission of the podcast. I think that that really is is an amazing um, value add to open up that conversation. One thing that I've found is taking the pressure off from thinking that whatever you do has to be the greatest thing that you will do in your life – I think that that's really overwhelming and that puts people into a position of paralysis. Mm-hmm. And so if instead of thinking of this as this is going to be my, you know, the company that I'm going to, you know, get into Forbes over and, and hang my hat on for the rest of my life, like, what if you just try it? Take a class, try something out. You know, I, I uh, Jamie, the founder of Schmidt's um, deodorant, had posted um, something to Twitter the other day about how the Schmitz was founded when she just took a DIY shampoo class. And that wasn't because she was, you know, searching around trying to find the idea, but it was something that spoke to her. So if you think about it less from a, a space of, okay, I need to find my one idea, like just look at what interests you and find, you know, find smaller ways to incorporate those. I think being able to look to where your passions lie first, but not putting the pressure on them. It's almost like you can't look at it head on. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like you're, um, it's too daunting. It, it can be. Yeah. Right. I think that it is, it's hard when people put so much pressure on every little thing that they do to put pressure on it to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the, the secret is, is that nothing is ever perfect. And you can't get into this space, you know, and I do this too, right? Like I look at brands that are, you know, and I sometimes look at them and I say, wow, you know, they're, it's amazing that they're doing that thing. Like, I wish we could do that thing. And then I look at that and I remember that that brand is six years old and they have a team of 30 people. And yeah, 
they can do that cool thing because they have 30 people. We don't have the resources to do that yet. And so it's being okay with that. And maybe that goes back to that notion that you had of like delayed of delayed mm-hmm. gratification. Of, but just saying, start where you are, start with what you can. And removing that sense of ego, I think, of thinking that what you do has to be perfect and it has to fuel your ego in some way, like just put it out there. Be silly with it. Be, you know – come back to the joy of why you're trying to do this in the first place. Is it just the joy of creating something? Start with that versus trying to think that it has to be everything at once because nothing will be. And that's, that's the joy of it, right? Like you have to just start, start with the kernel and, you know, let the breadcrumbs lead you where they may. Love that. What is your literal active ingredient? Meaning is it coffee? Is it matcha? What is something that you have to have every day that gets you going? matcha and a walk every single morning. I make an oat milk matcha latte mm. and I go for a walk. I live in Brooklyn Heights and I walk along the promenade every single morning. How long is shine. It is 22 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> if I leave 22. my house and I walk, I walk all the way down to the end of the promenade and I walk back and I, I, that's like the, the first thing that I do half the time. I'm not even awake yet, but that is the one thing that like gets me out of bed. Um, I joke that I'm practicing so I can have a dog someday. <laughs> not really a joke. <laughs> you are. You are. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much thank for being you. on the podcast. Where can everyone thank you find so you? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, on Instagram, we are Kinfield, K-I-N-F-I-E-L-D. And then I am Nicole M. Powell on Instagram. So yeah, come find amazing. me there. We and check their website out. They have amazing merch also thank you. on top of their amazing products. Thank I'm you. Get out of office with us. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week.